Now, as we continue our series, A Gospel Christmas, we're going to be looking at a Christmas story as it appears in each of the Gospels. And so last week we saw the Gospel uh, Christmas in the book of Matthew. And oh, what a Gospel story, what a Christmas story. And so this week I'm going to ask you a question, and, I, and I don't raise your hand. Now, now, last week we saw Matthew as the outsider and how through he was through his eyes he saw a Savior that every outsider and every outcast can have and that each outsider and outcast can have a home. And today as we look at the book of Mark, now don't raise your hands just yet, but I've got a question. Don't raise your hands until I ask. But how many of you have read the Christmas story in the book of Mark. Now, don't raise your hands yet. Don't raise your hands. But how many have read the Christmas story in the book of Mark? Are you ready? All right, on the count of three. One, two. That's a trick question. There is no Christmas story in the book of Mark. You know, I was going to ha have you all raise your hands and all that did, I was going to have the ushers pass a plate and you'd have to contribute to the pastor's vacation fund. <laughs> you know? There is no Christmas story in the book of Mark. There are no angels. There's no shepherds. There's no little sheep. There's no manger. There's no little baby. There's no wise men. There's no Mary. There's no Joseph. Why? Why? Well, to, to understand that, you've got to understand one key thought. You need to know who Mark was. You need to know who he was writing to. And you need to understand what he was announcing. So first, let's talk about the key thought. You know, a few years ago, I was on staff at a church, and, and it was back in the days before digital really had caught on. So they sent me down to a photographer, you know, a portrait artist for staff pictures. And I went in and they took the pictures, and then they sent me back the proofs. And I looked at those proofs, and I started making a list of all the things that the photographer got wrong. And I, I, I made a list. There wasn't enough hair. The guy in the pictures was older than I remembered. There were more wrinkles and more gray. Um, his, his face was wider than I liked. His neck was longer than I wanted. And so I was going to send him this list and I was going to say this to it. I was going to say, your pictures did not do me justice but I didn't. 
You know why? Because I know what she was going to do. She had sat me down and she would looked me in the eye and she would have said, Preach, you don't need justice, you need mercy. <laughs> and lots of it. Mercy. Mercy. You know, there's a big difference between justice and mercy. If you don't believe me, look at art. If I were to take you all to Athens and we were to see the art, that's the art of mercy. It's beautiful. Every statue, every flaw is, miss, is missing. If you were to look closely, every scar is gone, every wrinkle is removed, the cheeks are just right, the hair is thick, the muscles are there. But in Rome, Rome, if we go and look at their statues, every scar shows. If you're bald, you're bald. If you're a little overweight, that shows too. You see, Rome believed that you deserve to be presented just as you appeared and you get what you deserve. And they called that justice. Rome believed in human justice. Rome believed in human justice expressed through power. And here's the key thought as we get ready to jump into the book of Mark. Here's the thought I want you to get. Human justice, human power replaced by divine mercy. This is going to be the key to understanding the book of Mark. Rome said you get what you deserve. Rome knew justice. Rome knew power, but it did not know mercy. And Jesus was born into, lived and died, and rose again in the Roman Empire. Mark's Gospel is written especially for the Roman people. Mark, who is writing to the Roman culture of power, and he says human justice, human power, has been replaced by godly mercy. So who is Mark? Well, Mark's full name is John Mark. That's the English version of it. If we were to jump back, it would have been Jonah Marcus. Mark would have been born in North Africa in a Roman colony. His father was Roman. His mother was Jewish. Therefore, his given Jewish name was the John or Jonah, and his Roman name is Mark or Marcus. Because the Gospel is given to the Roman people, he uses his Roman name of Mark or Marcus. Now apparently his father dies and his mother moves back to Jerusalem. And because of their wealth, they bought a large home. This home was going to be used by the disciples and later by the Christians for ministry. This will be the site of the Last Supper and it will be where the people will wait for the 40 days 
before Pentecost. It will be the Apostle Peter who will probably lead Mark to the Lord, and they will be close. Some will call the book of Mark the Gospel of Peter because of his influence over Mark. Mark in time will become a missionary to North Africa. And he will die a martyr's death. A courageous martyr's death. The story is told that they will take a rope and they will put it around him and they will drag him through the streets. The whole time he will be preaching. Fearlessly preaching. And then that night, they will throw him into prison. The next day, they will drag him out of prison. They will put a rope around him and they will drag him through the streets again until with his last breath, he will preach and go to heaven. This will be Mark the courageous. Mark the fearless. But he wasn't quite so brave in the beginning. Probably the first time we hear about him is in the garden when they uh, come to arrest Jesus. There's a story in one of the Gospels about a young man running away and they grab his coat and he runs away naked. That was Mark. Acts 13.13 Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia and John left them and that's John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. Chrysostom, an early church father, wrote this about him leaving. He said Mark wanted to go home to be with his mommy. Not exactly a good start, is it? It said that he didn't want to put up with the trials and the hardship of being being a missionary and it was too much and he wanted to go home. Not a good start for our friend John Mark. So he gave up. In fact, he became known as a coward at this part. He wasn't ready for the dangerous roads and the bandits. So in Acts 15, when Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark again, Paul refuses and they get into such an argument that they split. But Barnabas keeps hammering away on John Mark and in Acts chapter 2, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Something had changed. You see, human justice was replaced by godly mercy. The power of God's ministry of reconciliation. The power of God's mercy had worked on Mark's heart. And Mark was reconciled with Paul. Mark was changed by God's mercy. 
You know, even Mark's death is a picture of reconciliation. Now, I'm a pastor. I, one of the things I do is bury people. That's what I do. We used to have a guy who sat right there in the back row, uh, Mr. Keith. And Mr. Keith was a mortician in Monticello for like 40 some odd years. And he'd call me up. He'd say, Pastor, there's a, there's a family. They, they don't have a pastor. I need you to be their pastor. They had a loved one die. Would you come and bury their loved one? And you know what? One of the laws, or one of the things I always followed was, if I buried someone, I buried all of them. That was just a rule I followed. I didn't bury part of them. Second rule is, if I buried them, they stayed buried. That's just the way it is. Not so with Mark. You know, when Mark died, the early church had a little fight over him. So his body went to Venice, Italy. And his head went to Alexandria. And the, you think, well, why? And they were both buried in churches. Well, that's strange. It took one of the popes to finally go, put him back together. And as a picture of reconciliation, they buried him in Venice. Even in death, Mark talks about reconciliation through mercy, not justice. So Mark turns from being scaredy cat Mark to courageous, not by the power of justice, but from the power of mercy. And so he writes to the power-obsessed Romans the Gospel of a powerful Savior who was merciful. His audience is Rome. Rome was described as all-powerful and does not choose to wait, so therefore yield on the instant or die. In this one sentence, we find two characteristics of the audience to whom Mark writes, yield or die. First of all, they're a people of action. In fact, if you take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 18, verse 1, I want to show you something. Mark chapter 18, verse... Oh, it's not there, is it? There's no chapter 18. That's okay. It's 17, 1. 17. It's not there, is it? Mark only has 16 chapters. John, Matthew, Luke are all over 20. But Mark only has 16. Have you ever wondered why? It's because Mark is the paperback edition. It's the Kindle of its day. Rome didn't have time to read. They wanted the concise, get it done edition. If you read Mark, its most popular word is this, immediately or straightway. Those words appear like 42 times in the book. And one of the best connector words in the book is the word and. It too appears a lot and it's always connected to action and he did this and they did this and this happened and that happened 
Mark was all about action. In fact, Mark 45, 1045 seems to sum it up for the Romans. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Mark knew his audience and they were a people of action. Secondly, they were a people of power. Their God was a God of power. It was revealed in every part of their culture. As sports, they love scenes, the struggle, whether it be animals or humans fighting to the death. In architecture, the bigger, the better. The Greeks built one story, the Romans built three. The Romans built big for power. Some said they had an edifice complex. That's a joke. It's not a very good one, but it's a joke. And then government. Roman government was built to rule for a thousand years. They had secret police everywhere. They were on three continents. They were on every island. If you resisted, you would be hunted down. You would be eliminated. Mark, being raised in a Roman colony, knew about Roman power and their obsession with the will of Rome. Therefore, the Gospel was written to counter the human power with divine mercy by showing that the divine power was greater than the Roman power. And so he begins first by omitting the story about a baby. Babies to Rome were weak. If it would have started out with the Christmas story and the manger, they would have shut the book. You see, to Romans, babies are weak. In fact, after a baby was born, they would carry the baby in to dad. Dad would look at the baby and say whether the baby lived or died. If the baby said the baby was going to die, they would just put it outside the door. This is where the church stepped in. Here's what the early church did. They roamed the streets looking for those babies. And they would gather those babies, and they would raise those babies, and they would bring life to those babies that Rome said wasn't worth raising. Human power, even in the life of those babies, was trumped by divine mercy. But Romans didn't care about birth stories. You know, Mark or Matthew and, and Luke have the genealogies. This is where Jesus came from. Rome didn't care. Rome doesn't care where you come from. Rome cares what you do. What are you going to do? I don't care where you came from. So Mark goes, fine. Let me tell you what Jesus does. Mark shows the power of Jesus. 
from chapter 1 to chapter 16, he shows them 12 acts of physical healing. Jesus has power over illness. He has power over the lame, power over the blind, power over the death, power over all sickness. And then he has five acts of controlling nature. Even the winds and the waves have to obey him. Kind of a try that, Caesar, kind of approach. Not only that, there are ten acts of power over the supernatural realm. The casting out of demons, the, the, the controlling of the supernatural. And then, one supernatural act of raising the dead. And you say, why only one supernatural act of raising the dead? How many acts of those do you need? I think raising the dead is kind of the showstopper, don't you? And it builds up to the end of the book where Jesus Himself rises from the dead. The whole book says, you think you're powerful, Rome? Can you heal the sick? Nope. Can you destroy the demonic world? Nope. Can you raise the dead? Nope. Can you make the wind and the waves obey you? Nope. Can you rise from the dead? Nope. Then I guess, Rome, you really don't have as much power as you think, do you? That's what the book is all about. No power could compare. Come with me to the deathbed of an atheist. The year is 1794. The man cries out, All is dark. All is doubtful. And then he dies without Christ. The problem is he should have known better. For his name is Edward Gibbon. And he wrote a book called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And in his book, which is a classic, it's stated that the one foundational factor for Rome's fall is the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Human justice. Human power was replaced by divine mercy. John Mark who had previously experienced the power of mercy, presents to this unforgiving world, the world of human power, the announcement concerning the power of forgiveness. 
Mark chapter 1. John appeared. He's talking about John the baptizer. Baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Human justice, human power is replaced by the mercy of God. Sin can be forgiven. Mark 2.10 But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic. Human justice, human power replaced by godly mercy. And then comes the one verse that summarizes the whole of Mark. Mark 15.39 And when the scribe doesn't say scribe. When the teacher doesn't say teacher. When the priest, it doesn't say priest. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. It was the Roman centurion, the Roman soldier, the symbol of power who after seeing the power of mercy bowed before the all-powerful Savior. How had he seen the power of mercy? When he nailed the hands to the cross and heard, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. Have mercy. When he nailed the feet to the cross, he heard, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he is doing. Have mercy. When he took the spear and he pierced the side and he realized that he was forgiven. Not that he should have mercy, but receive mercy because of the sacrifice that was made on his behalf. Now the power of mercy pierces through the centurion's iron-clad military uniform and through his iron-clad soldier's mind right into his heart. And the total conversion we see in the Gospel of Mark is a Roman centurion acknowledging Christ as God. Human justice. Human power is replaced by divine mercy. This is the true spirit of Christmas, my friend. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It comes when God opens our eyes and we realize that no matter how good we are, that no matter what we do that or how much we make or how strong we are, what kind of leader we are, we, no matter our power, no matter even if we have the power to gain the whole world, we do not have the power to save our soul. But God in His mercy sent Jesus. He dies for us on the cross and by doing so pays a debt we cannot pay and gives us what we cannot earn. The Scriptures tell us that we must believe that He died, was buried, and rose again and confess Him as our Lord. And all who truly believe can be saved. So my friends, Will you do that? If you would like to do that today, would you talk to one of us afterwards? Will you confess Him as Lord? Will you repent and call Him your King? Talk to one of us afterwards. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to share with you so you can know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It can happen today. It happens every day. It was a collect long-distance phone call from a girl who my mentor had never met. It was from another part of the country. The girl was in trouble and she was afraid to call her parents. My mentor told her she could find the mercy she needed. On the phone, she told him, I deserve justice. He helped her call her parents. Her mother got on the phone with her. I remember my friend. He said, She could have said, you're getting just what you deserve. But instead, she said, honey, we love you. Come home. And this broken young woman went home, and her parents met her at the airport. And instead of finding human power, instead of finding human justice, she found divine mercy in that home. And then on a Wednesday night at my mentor's church, that mother who attended the church went to the prayer meeting, and at the end of the prayer meeting, she asked if she could share something. And she said, with eyes filled with tears and a voice that choked, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Our daughter accepted Christ last night. Human justice. Human power had been replaced by divine mercy. This is the Christmas story as found in the book of Mark because it's the gospel story 
that's found in the book of Mark. Amen? Amen.